Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode number 359 of Charlotte Readers Podcast, Beyond 300. I'm here with co-host Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue, and we've got a great show for you today. Yeah, we sure to do. First up today, we're going to focus on book eight in the Right Quote series called Publishing and Book Marketing. We're going to share some audio from the book as well as some of our favorite quotes. Yep. In addition to sharing some of our favorites from book eight, we're going to have an open discussion about publishing and book marketing from various perspectives with Sarah talking about traditional publishing, Landis talking about indie publishing, and Hannah leading a discussion on book marketing. Woohoo! Yeah, about that. And to finish up today, we're going to have some reading recommendations, but also book pitches. We've got eight elevator pitches today. So stay with us uh, some good stuff from uh, authors who've been listening, who are sharing with us uh, books that uh, they've written uh, in 30 seconds or less. Something hard to do. And we're going to tell you what's coming in the next uh, episode. But first, uh, what's up with the podcast uh, host? Uh, hey, it's uh, been about a month since we recorded. Uh, what's up, uh, Hannah? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's weird. I feel like we were recording so many episodes at one time earlier this year, and I was like, nothing is new from five minutes ago. But now like, I feel like there should be some new things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you went camping or something, right? You went to the Yeah, we went to, we took one on our first hiking trip. Uh, I went to a Bengals game. We're kind of embracing the Cincinnati lifestyle, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> but yeah, we've become like baseball fans i guess we've been to some reds games that's been a lot of fun um yeah we're kind of just like getting settled in tom's looking at jobs for after his fellowship so that's been kind of crazy and gwen turns one tomorrow um can you believe that i can't (laughs) (laughs) that's probably the biggest thing for me right now i've like planned this uh fairy birthday party for her that she will not understand anything that's happening, but I'm going to be like that parent that's like, oh, <laughs> a little to the left, pose, everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> She'll love Actually, the pictures when she's older. Uh, you guys, no one, listeners can't see this, but this is her crown. Um, okay, she's her got birthday crown. crown. Yeah, yeah I got her tiara going on. I got like these little well, fairy. I'm we'll post wands. pictures in the next that's newsletter great. after Glenn's birthday. How about that? I know. Yeah. Wands. Yeah. Wands <laughs> and I'll let you guys know. It. Yeah, I'll send pictures. We'll put it in the newsletter. You guys can see uh, the All vibes. Right. <laughs> well, it just occurred to me that uh, in order to be a co-host on Charlotte's podcast, you've got to live uh, in a city that starts with a C, right? So, uh, Dang, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. true. You, you, were, you were Charleston, but we only let you move to Cincinnati to keep you on the Because it's a C the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then Sarah, Concord, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're the C's. On the same C's here. Three C's. What about you, Sarah? Um, I've been keeping busy with writing projects. Landis and I have a novella that we've been co-writing, which we'll share plenty more about. Um, and doing some screenwriting too. Um, I taught a uh, class for Charlotte Lit recently on networking and community building for writers, which is great. Very lovely, engaged group of students. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I've got a little bit of travel coming up soon too. I'm going to be going to. Shenandoah National Park in Virginia and to Washington, D.C. for a few days just to 
hike and do museums and that kind of thing. So that'll be fun. Um, and in personal news, I'm also expecting a baby girl in February. All right, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like you slid that in there with like no, <laughs> <laughs> no change in tone at all. You're like, yeah. also, <laughs> yeah. I'm not away. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good at like announcing things and hyping them up. <laughs> that was you, good. You will. 3,000 photos later into her first year, you'll be, mm-hmm. you'll be fine. You know? Yeah. More yeah. than that. I like literally 14,000. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's like 14,000. <laughs> That's what I'm like with my dog now. So I'll have to have like extra camera roll to still take the dog pictures and have the baby pictures. Go buy more space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll well, need there's it. There's this thing uh, for all you people out there that just want to share photos with maybe your 30 closest friends, this thing called cluster instead of putting it out there on social media. You can create a cluster account and uh, invite people, and they can all look at the four thousand pictures that uh, you take of your of I your baby. That. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, that yeah. is good to know. I I need that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, for me, I uh, just got back. Uh, if you've been seeing the newsletter and uh, social media, I, I went to Cape Cod and ate oysters every day, and had some lobster and some scallops and good stuff. Uh, Janet and I celebrated our fortieth anniversary same week. Uh, Celebrated my 26th uh, birthday. I'm sorry. No, no, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My 15th. Uh, I realized that Sarah and I have birthdays that are very close together, just uh, about 30 years apart. So, yeah, you know, yeah. So, yeah. We're both Virgos, I guess. Yeah, like yeah. That. Virgo it's, season. It's so like, is Gwen. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was great fun. And, um, you know, got back and jumped right in and saw we had a bunch of Elevator pitches. Uh, thanks to all you for listening and doing that because it's a it's a great exercise. Um, and uh, as Sarah said, uh, we've been working hard to to pull together the final threads of uh, what's going to be death by podcasting. Uh, hey, just to tease that out right now, look for pre-order information on that. Uh, as of October the seventeenth, we're going to release it on November 14th. It's been kind of an experiment. Sarah and I are going to talk about it uh, with Hannah interviewing us in the, I think it's the November Probably 6th or 7th. First, first Tuesday, Tuesday in November. First Tuesday yeah. in November, that's right. So, uh, Hannah's going to interview us and we're going to talk about the origin for this thing and how we got the idea and thought it'd be fun to experiment. And lots of fun things to talk about, including how well we got along together writing, I don't know, uh, 30,000 words and how hard we... <laughs> had working together, writing uh, 120 100, words 150, to go on the back of the book. <laughs> I, mean, I think we had more drafts of that than we had of the book yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, when it's concentrated like that, it's so much harder. Yeah, it's that old Mark Twain thing of had more time, I'd written you a shorter letter. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way it is. And so uh, look for that. Uh, also, just to tease that out, uh, we're going to actually do a event uh, November 15th at Park Road Books. You can save the date for that. Um, we're Unfortunately, I think Hannah will have gone back to Cincinnati by then, but Sarah and I will be there. We're going to do the whole Right Quote series. All eight books, we'll have them there. We'll also have Death by Podcasting there, which will be out on the Tuesday. If you want to come hang with uh, uh, two-thirds of the podcast crew, um, come out on November 15th to Park Road Book. But if you want to hang out with all of us, uh, Hannah, you want to tell them how to do that? Come to the North Carolina Writers Network Conference. (laughs) Exactly. We will be hanging out all weekend long. We've got a table. We've got a class, all sorts of stuff. It'll be lots of fun. Yeah, And that's uh, November 4th weekend. This is a great opportunity uh, to be part of the uh, 
wider writing community, beyond your local community, uh, to meet some writers from across North Carolina and uh, from elsewhere. They used to have a tagline, this is the writing estate. Uh, I never could get that to come up and spell check exactly <laughs> right. But anyway, I think that's that means we've got a lot of writers here in North Carolina. But I've met a lot of um, people through the network. Um, the conferences are fun, a lot of classes. We're going to be doing a class um, that uh, focuses on well, – why don't you tell them, Sarah? I'm talking too much. Yeah, so we're going to draw inspiration from the Write Quote series. Um, and we've done versions of this for some of the, the libraries and local writing groups, um, drawing inspiration from the first three books. But this one, we're going to kind of tackle all eight books in the series and uh, do bits and pieces about different parts of the writing process and the publishing process and the emotional ups and downs of writing and everything. And we always make these workshops really um, conversational and interactive, and they've been a lot of fun so far. So we'll be doing one of those um, at the NC Writers Network conference. And we've also got a few more of those coming up for the library system, too. Um, I think we've got one, what is it, one in October and one in November at different branches we've got scheduled. Yeah, I think October 3rd, uh, we've got one scheduled. And you, you've got a, you're going to have something in that um, in the newsletter. Yeah, um, yeah. That's coming out, uh, either that has come out or it's going to. Uh, I think coming out, um, well, tomorrow as of when we record. So. Oh, yeah. Well, it will have right. already we'll come have out. To, <laughs> have to look back in time. <laughs> when, this, <laughs> when this releases. <laughs> We're recording ahead. Uh, well, yeah, if, if, if you've got uh, the ability to read into the future, um, then yeah, um, but read the newsletter and uh, get some information there. Um, it's a lot of fun. We're going to, uh, as I think about this, trying to cram all eight books into 90 minutes is going to be a challenge. But um, more than anything, these are prompts um, given to us by the 500 plus uh, interviews uh, we've done uh, on the podcast uh, with all the great uh, advice uh, and uh, that we've heard from, from some great authors. And, you know, that kind of, really leads right into what we're going to do uh, in just a moment here uh, in our Act One. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, here we are in Act One. Uh, we're celebrating the release of Book Eight in the Right Quote series titled Publishing and Book Marketing. Yes, we are. And I, I can't believe that we're at the last book in this series. I remember earlier in the year when we were putting it together and I was like, oh, the last one's going to come out in October. That felt so long ago or yeah. long, long away. But here we are. <laughs> um, so we're excited to share the inspirational and practical quotes. They come from over 500 interviews that we've done on the podcast with hardworking, award-winning and New York Times bestselling authors in more than 33 U.S. states and five countries. Yeah, and I might be kind of biased, but this is probably my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Love talking uh, about book marketing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, this is a lot of fun, too. It kind of talks about how writers really feel about the whole publishing and book marketing process. And uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun to kind of dive into. Uh, we have the audio of the forward and of the reflections. And we're going to share some of our favorite quotes, as always, from the book. Yeah, and since uh, Hannah had the most experience of the three of us in book marketing, we had her uh, write the forward for this book, and we're going to play that right now, just a couple of minutes, and you'll get a, a fresh feel from a, uh, from a book publicist about this thing called book marketing. Here we go. Much like any person's journey through life, every writer's publishing and publicity path is different. It used to be that your book would only see the light of day as a traditionally published volume 
backed by the reputation of a well-known publishing house. Today, that's no longer the case. As a publicist, one of the most rewarding parts of joining Charlotte Reader's podcast as a co-host has been listening to so many authors share their books, success stories, and what worked for them. We've talked with traditionally published novelists who trusted their work with one of the big five publishing houses. We've heard from self-published writers who turned their writing into profitable businesses. And we've connected with authors who work closely alongside experts employed by independent presses. Authors have more freedom than ever before when it comes to writing and sharing their books with the world. You, the writer, get to decide what works best for your story. Now that is inspiring. It's important to remember that publishing is less than half the battle. One of the the most dreaded aspects of the writing business for most authors is marketing their books, which is selling their stories to readers. Who is my audience? How do I find readers who will buy my books? Are they browsing for books online or shopping in stores? Where do I even start? The list of questions goes on and on. And though many writers claim book marketing is their least favorite part about the book world, it doesn't have to be. I'll let you in on a little secret. Marketing is just another word for storytelling. You're telling your story's story. This is what you're good at. It's what you already do. I've learned over the years, and certainly through our conversations on the podcast, that the key to successful marketing campaigns includes looking at the publicity process in a positive light versus being afraid of it. Lisa Jewell, one of the very best thriller writers in the business, said it perfectly. I absolutely love talking about writing, and I love talking about my work, and I love talking about books. So for me, it's a pleasure. Listen to Lisa. Lisa knows. Marketing your book can be fun. I hope you can find comfort in the fact that there isn't a master blueprint that gets your book published in the hands of the right readers. You can get creative, finding the methods that work best for you, and do your stories justice. For some of you, that might be pitching to agents and landing your manuscript with a big publisher. For others, it might be building your own team of experts and self-publishing your books. The beauty of it all is that you get to decide. I hope you'll emerge from reading the pages that follow with plenty of golden nuggets to energize you as you continue your own creative journey whatever that might look like. All right. Well done, Hannah. Yeah. Good job. Um, so what I thought we'd do, normally we play the forward and then we play, uh, then we talk about some quotes. Uh, but I thought I would move up uh, my reflections here, play those. So we'll have the context of everything. And then we're going to go through a few quotes here of our favorites from the book. Uh, these are favorites apart from the favorites that Hannah put in her, her uh, forward and what you're going to hear uh, in my reflections, but this might help us too as we go through this discussion. So here are my reflections, which I just recorded again because I noticed that uh, when I recorded them before, I had a terrible head cold and you couldn't understand what I was saying. So uh, (laughs) here it is now. We now know it can take a long time to find an agent, a long time after that for the agent to sell your book, and another long time before the publisher decides to publish your book. As author Michael Allman put it, you're going to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince that's going to take your book. I'm 72 years old, and I don't buy green bananas. This is why many authors turn to small press publishers that don't require agents and to indie publishing, where they can gain some level of control over their product and their publishing schedule. Successful indie author Jessica Peterson, once a traditionally published author, said, I would really encourage people to examine why do you feel you need a traditional publishing contract? What are your goals? My biggest goal was I want to make a living doing this, and I wasn't going to get there being traditionally published. I'm getting there being independently published. Ellen Butler, also a successful indie author, said, If 
I do go traditional again, there are a number of things that I'm going to retain control of because when you're signing contracts with traditional publishers, especially when you're first starting out, they're going to do a rights grab. They're going to want to eat your audio rights. They're going to want your international rights. And then they'll just sit on them. Decisions, decisions. It's nice to have options, but it's also nice to know how the world of publishing works. There are pros and cons to traditional indie publishing. A contract with a big traditional publisher can lead to much broader distribution in bookstores and a production team for the book. Marketing help? Not necessarily. Control? Not much. Profit? It depends. Many authors don't earn out their advances. They're like tenant farmers who get a check for their book and then have to raise and bring in the marketing crop on their own to validate their existence. The old joke is that the marketing money at traditional publishers is reserved for the authors who don't need it. Another thing we learned from this book is that the publishing landscape is ever-changing. Arthur Rose Senehy described the shift this way. When I first started, you had to get a traditional publisher, and if you didn't, you had to keep struggling until you did. We've seen the sand move underneath our feet, where it's just been changing dramatically, and I'm glad to have been able to catch on to it and respond to the changes. And that's the key word, change. That's why authors have to keep their eye on where is the industry going and what is the best path for you to take? What will make you fulfilled as a writer and how do you get there? Brad Taylor, author of 16 New York Times bestselling thrillers, said, I didn't know anything about traditional publishing. Honestly, if I knew how hard it was to get published, I wouldn't even have gone down this path. He quipped that when he sold his first book, the dog had caught the car. Other authors who caught the car have been fortunate to be with their same publisher from their first book. Others have jumped around. Others have gone the indie route. But even then, we learn an important rule, as successful indie author Pamela Fagan Hutchins reminded us. We start with the need to connect to readers. A nice segue to book marketing. Every author has some book marketing stories, the kind that make you laugh and not take your marketing self so seriously. I was playing golf in a foursome and the topic of my first book came up and one friend was surprised. He said, you wrote a book? I said, yeah, I wrote a book. He said, man, I want to read that. Where can I buy it? My other friend turned to him and said, I got a copy. You can have mine. And remember the one from National Book Award winner Jason Mott? So I fall back, bang my head on the floor, completely unconscious in the middle of the flight. I wake up. There's a light shining in my eyes and flight attendants are kneeling over me saying, sir, sir, are you all right? I said, well, I've been traveling a lot on book tours. She goes, oh, my God, what's your book about? So even as you pass out from exhaustion on a flight, you wake up pitching your book. But what about humor essayist David Oakley, who splashed these words across the cover of his book? Not a New York Times bestseller. He laughed when he told me, I was looking at so many books, and man, everybody's a New York Times bestseller. I didn't think this would be, and I said, I'll just be honest. What we learn in this book about marketing books is that it's not easy. It takes work, creativity, and time. Authors use websites and mailing lists and social media and BookBub and online advertising and promotion sites and catchy graphics. Authors go places. They appear on podcasts. They go to book clubs. They hold events in bookstores, breweries, museums, and homes, and they speak publicly, write about writing, and teach about writing. Authors depend upon their networks and their communities. They never stop building them. They ask for favors, and they do favors for others. Even the most successful authors, like New York Times bestselling author Christy Harvey points out, you're actually a lot better off to have 250 email subscribers that are truly interested in what you're saying. They're actually reading your emails. They really want to buy your book than you are to have 250,000 that aren't even opening them in the first place. And as award-winning author Gene Grant said, sometimes the best marketing tactic 
is to team up with your fellow authors. We can conquer the world together, one book at a time. All right. Uh, everybody feel like you're in that scene in Animal House where they say, let's run out and uh, you know conquer the world here? Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> one, uh, one book marketing project at a time. Um, well, look, that's... Uh, you know, um, that's just a small piece of what uh, is in this book. This is one of our thicker books. It's got a lot of content in it uh, on, on the publishing and bookmarking side. On publishing, we cover all the the, the different uh, angles to getting your book out there, traditional, indie, hybrid, whatever. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then we talk about bookmarking. Let's do a few uh, favorite quotes, and then we'll come back and maybe hit some of those topics a, a little bit harder. Hannah, uh, you want to start us off with a quote? Yeah. Uh, my first quote that I picked, I just loved this. Um, it's, if it comes from your heart, it will probably find a home. And Tamara Wilson said that. And I think it's pretty, it's simple and true. And um, something that I feel like as you're getting ready to embark on this uh, publicity journey, which is often like super daunting to people. Um, if you just go back to what's in your heart and what why you wrote the story you wrote, I think that should give you the confidence to know that it will find a home somewhere. I just really liked that a lot. That's great. Uh, Sarah, you've got one uh, from John Gilstrap, thriller writer. Yeah, yeah. So John says, what often happens is people fire off query letters that are just boring. They're cookie cutter. Recipients are reading hundreds of these. You don't want to be that next one. Um, and I think that's great advice. I mean, in the same way that when you're writing a book, you want to think about hooking your reader and getting something in the first chapter, ideally on the first page, that's going to draw people in. Um, it's the same way with query letters. And there's probably even more pressure in a query letter within just a few paragraphs to grab someone and make them want to read your manuscript out of the whole other stack of letters that they're getting. So I think that's like the number one thing with a query letter with a manuscript, anything is just don't be boring. <laughs> and there are a million mm. different ways to do that and to be interesting and to grab people's attention. But everyone is so overloaded these days. There's so much content out there. There are so many books. Agents and editors get so many queries and so many manuscripts coming across their desks. So you just have to do a little something extra to kind of grab that attention. Yeah, I remember interviewing him um, years ago about this. And uh, I think if you go to his website, he's got a sample of the uh of the query letter he used that uh, finally landed him um, the publisher for what became a New York Times bestselling book and turned into a movie. So that'd be a good place to go to check out. Um, sort of in the same vein um, is this quote uh, from Nora Gaskin. She's an award-winning writer. She's also uh, a really good editor because she helped me get my books into the world. Uh, but Nora says, the more polished your manuscript is before you start looking for publication, the better off you're going to be. Hire good freelance developmental editors and copy editors so you're not giving someone an excuse for rejecting it. And, and this is, you know, this is really good advice whether you're going uh, the traditional route or the indie route because uh, if you think about it, uh, there's so many manuscripts out there that uh, the big and the small presses are looking at that if it comes to them with too many changes that have to be made, I mean, unless you're really, really popular writer or you're some kind of celebrity who's never written but they're going to turn you into a writer they're not going to want to mess with it right they're going to want to see a very polished manuscript so spend the money get the development letter you know tune it up before you uh send it out uh, those first 20 pages with uh with your query letter but also keep in mind that uh, you want that as well uh, when you put it out there to the reading public if you're an indie author because uh, it could be too late 
if you put it out there and realize, oh, wait a minute, that's uh, draft three of what should be draft 10 when all these reviews start coming in about how sloppy this is or you run across those people that are reviewing books that can't stand a period in the wrong place. Uh, so it's good to make sure you, you, know, you take a close, close look at that. Uh, Hannah, what you got next? I have one from Michael Almond, um, and he says, Two author friends of mine told me that when you finish writing your book, then the hard work really begins. They were right. The author has to be the primary participant in marketing and promoting their book. Um, I love this. I think it's very kind of like a very direct statement to make, and you're just, it, it kind of, um, it's a good way of looking at it. I think it's, you know, you've written your book and I think a lot of people when they finish writing a book, uh, they'll think, okay, well that's, that's that. (laughs) Here you go. This is, it's done. I have, whether you have a publishing house or not, um, it's kind of like, that's the end of the road, but really, um, it's just the beginning because ideally, you know, it's like if you're writing a book, you probably want people to read it. And the way you get people to read it is to promote it. So I think to look at yourself as, you know, you're, you, you are the primary participant, you're the person who created it and you have to look at it like that because if you don't and you just kind of let it, you either expect someone else to do all of that work or you don't do any work at all. It's, it's kind of like you're putting yourself at a dead end at that point. I just, I thought that was a really good thing to say about it and that uh that applies even when you're working with a good publicist like hannah right hannah because you want (laughs) that person out front yeah yeah for sure i mean you it has to be a joint effort because if it's not you know there really is no doing anything for you (laughs) like if you're not willing to like (laughs) go do anything it's like i can't say oh (laughs) can you go be at this event on this date and they're like no oh (laughs) Well, that's okay. So much for that. (laughs) So much for that. Yeah. I can drink, (laughs) bring that damn horse to the marketing (laughs) water trough, but, you know, you got to drink from it. Yeah, exactly. You got (laughs) to turn the cup Uh, up. All right. Uh, Sarah, you got something else on the publishing side? Yeah. um, I have a quote from Matthew Duffus. He says, you don't know about the publishing side until it happens. I've learned as much since the book came out as I probably did just writing. And I think that's so true. Like, you can study writing in school or you can take classes and workshops and kind of prepare yourself with that. But with the publishing side, you really learn by doing. Um, I mean, you can take, there are certainly workshops and, and courses out there that talk about publishing and book marketing, but I think it's one of the things you're inevitably going to learn a lot along the way. And I know for me, that was definitely the case. Like I knew nothing about publishing when I published my first book. Um, and I learned a lot just through the process of doing it. And I would probably do a lot of things differently this time or the next time around. Um, so yeah, just go in prepared to absorb all the information you can and be flexible and be willing to adapt and, and change your process as you go, because you're definitely going to have discoveries along the way. Mm. Yeah. And assuming you've uh, polished your book, you've used uh, editors and copy editors and you've got somebody helping you and you've got a plan and so forth. Uh, Don Hardy says that the key to launching with great buzz and excitement is to build your tribe prior to launching. A lesson I learned with my first book, and a lot of authors too, that when you write that first book, you just want to get it out there, right? Because the universe is waiting for my book, right? I mean, they just, everybody's been just sitting there waiting for Landis to publish a book and they can't wait. And so I got to get it out there, right? So they can just have it, right? And then you put it out there and then what happens? It's like crickets, right? You, yeah, <laughs> if you're not prepared, right, if you don't go into it, if you don't build a community that might have an interest in what you're writing, uh, 
So yeah, the key to launching is to kind of build, build slowly along the way, you know, letting people know, for example, that you're a writer, that you're writing a book and oh, what are you writing about? Well, I'm writing about this. Oh, well, okay. Well, tell me when it comes out kind of thing. So, you know, that's uh, a, a good advice to, and that's not just limited to uh, readers necessarily. I mean, uh, I think a big community of support is other writers, you know, um, because writers support each other, not just with reading each other's books, but with providing reviews and blurbs and critiques in the writing process. Uh, uh, Sarah and I were fortunate. Uh, Hannah d- took a look at uh, Death by Podcasting. We had several others who've done the same. And it makes the product better, um, and that's that's through the community that you you build. Um, and uh, so, yeah, uh, keep that in mind when you're launching. Uh, don't get ahead of your headlights. Uh, all right, you got one more, Hannah. Yeah, and just before we move on to my next one, Dawn, I love that quote so much because I yeah. can hear her saying it. <laughs> Dawn, for those of you who know, she's just like, she's so energetic and i love that she calls it a tribe because that's just like exactly what it is and she's just awesome um the next person who i've i'm picking linda bouchard who um speaking of don the three of us were on a publicity panel a few years ago and um i love the two of them so much they're so talented um yeah this is from linda and she says publicity creates conversations i like the author to think of marketing as part of the creative process and not separate from it um this is such a great quote to me uh i think it's really critical to kind of think about the marketing aspect of your book as part of the creative process um mainly because i think as a creative person as a writer it's it'll do you so many favors if you do think of it like that because it'll make it a lot more fun as opposed to being like oh this is just like a task like a trivial thing that i have to do to check off my list i gotta go do an event i gotta like have an interview it's like if you don't just become it become it (laughs) that is like Mm -hmm. the best uh, one of the best pieces of advice I think you can you know kind of take to heart um is like become the marketing process become that story it does create conversations and most of the writers that I know like to talk about what they've written about you know so it's like allow the publicity process to create those conversations and just like become part of it I think that's really good that's uh similar to what you said in your forward, Hannah, that I really liked is that marketing uh, a book is really uh, another form of storytelling. I mean, it yeah. really does come come down to that, whether it's writing that blurb that Sarah and I were struggling to finish, uh, which we finally did and <laughs> for Death by Podcasting, but uh, whether it's that or whether it's coming up with, you know, how you're going to promote it uh, in a newsletter or how you're going to promote it uh, on social media or how you're going to talk about it when you're in the elevator with somebody. All of that takes some you know, creative thinking. And uh, it's interesting, you know, Hannah, you mentioned it in one way, Linda's mentioning here uh, in another way. Um, I guess, uh, you know, we just need to, I mean, when you say, when you write the end, uh, it truly is the beginning (laughs) of of getting getting that book into the world, Mm -hmm. Um, unless you're someone that has a huge name and people are just waiting for your next big book to come out. But uh, 
than it is so, the uh, end. So <laughs> what you got uh, to finish up here for yours, Sarah? Uh, so my last quote is from Will Nona Marie, who says, as an author, what you probably don't recognize is that as soon as you hit the publish button, you are now a brand. Um, and that was one of those things, like I, I talked before about how um, you learn so much in the publishing process. And there's probably a lot of things that you don't realize until you actually just do it. And for me, this was definitely something that I learned along the way. Um, my background prior to writing my first novel was more in screenwriting. And in that world, screenwriters, they do a lot of sort of marketing of themselves to other people in the entertainment industry, trying to get jobs and trying to um, kind of network within that that community and sell their scripts. But to the end consumer, the person watching the movie or TV show, like nobody knows the screenwriter's <laughs> name. <laughs> so you're definitely not a brand. You're you're pretty anonymous in that sense. You're not responsible for helping to market the movie in any way. Um, nobody cares like how many social media followers you have or if you have a newsletter or anything like that. Uh, so then it was a very different perspective to come into publishing where authors like the reader, the end consumer, they know the author's name and they are looking for the next book from that author and they expect a certain type of book over and over again from the same author. Um, so I think that's something that's really helpful to think about is it's not just I'm publishing this book and then I'm publishing a separate book. It's you are kind of creating a continuous thread of, of content that you're putting out to people and they want to see some sort of continuity there. Um, and you as the author are the brand of that. So as you're building like an author website or your social media or um, putting together a blog or doing anything like that, like thinking about the the way that you visually package things, um, the sort of personality and information that you put out there, that's all kind of part of what's helping to promote your books. Um, so not to like cheapen yourself into just I'm a brand now, but <laughs> as an author, you really are a brand. So it's important to think about. Yeah, and it's important to think about uh, being true to yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I talk about myself as being a recovering trial lawyer, and that's really the way I, I feel about it. And I, I like having a good time when I talk to people about the books, and I like doing fun things. Uh, that's why Hannah and I decided we would have the book launch at a brewery, right? I mean, we're better to have a book launch than yeah. at a brewery. Uh, and uh, it's also why, you know, we sort of did this, I uh, did this mock interview because I had a podcast. I interviewed three of my characters, and the uh, narrator of the audiobook was uh, kind enough to play along and uh, let me interview him. And he changed his voice and played the characters as I did. I mean, these are just little things you do that are different and fun to kind of. And I've seen people do a lot of fun and interesting things uh, online, too, about their books where they might interview their character or they might do something else that comes from the theme of the book and, and put that out there. But here's the, the last one. I've got the last quote. And this, this is a quote that you need. If you, if you understand this, you will be able to market very, very well. And here's the quote. The problem that Mark Jampol says, the problem with marketing is that half of it doesn't work and you don't know which half. <laughs> so as, as, as long as you know that uh, and, and you just keep trying, right? I mean, just uh, like that little engine that could, you'll get up the hill and uh, eventually something will work and, if it doesn't, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, try something else. And so that's kind of um, sort of the mantra of marketing. Uh, you never know what's going to work uh, until it works. And then, uh, but uh, it's worth giving it a shot. Um, well, look, um, we're going to wrap this up and move into uh, Act 2 here. We're going to talk a little more about uh, these topics of traditional indie publishing and book marketing. But I uh, just want to remind you, you can uh, support the podcast if you go – uh, 
you know, get uh, book eight, uh, which came out October 1st, publishing a book marketing. Uh, it's there in ebook and print uh, on your online platforms. Uh, it's also available at Parker Books. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And you can come, as we said earlier, to the uh, to the North Carolina Rise Network conference, and we're going to go through all these books and pull out some quotes and talk about some of the inspiration uh, they gave us. Uh, so, yeah, all eight books are out. Uh, check out the podcast page to learn more at uh, com. And now let's uh, move to Act 2. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, sararcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, here we are in Act 2. Uh, we're just going to kind of pick up the discussion a little bit um, on these topics. Uh, uh, maybe with a little bit about um, how we got into what we got into um, as we talk about them. Sarah, you're going to talk a little bit about traditional. We may throw some stuff in as you do, and I'll talk about indie publishing, and y'all can throw some things in, and then we'll finish up with some book marketing ideas uh, from Hannah. Um, tell us a little bit about your story, Sarah. Yeah, so um, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I before I wrote my first novel, I was a screenwriter, so I didn't really know anything about um, the book writing process, the book publishing process, how any of that worked. So I really just kind of went into it thinking like, oh, this is probably not going to work. And of course, my book's not going to sell. And maybe I'll then look at self-publishing. So I was very open to self-publishing from the beginning. Um, but I did manage to get traditionally published. I um, I kind of did it the, the traditional way. Like I sent out query letters um, to agents I didn't know. I just found them through Google. <laughs> and um, I signed with an agent. And then I went through a round of revisions on the manuscript with her. And then she sent it out to editors. And I signed with the publishing company. And um, you make you make it sound so easy, Sarah. Just one boom, 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 <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's not that easy. It does take a lot of work along the way. But would you do something different today than the way you did it before? Although it worked out for you before, but I mean, have you learned some things since then that might uh, cause you to do something a little different? Yeah, I think probably the two biggest things that I would do differently are. Um, for one thing, I would think more about the fact that you are a brand as an author. Like when I was publishing my first book, I didn't really think about the fact that once you put out a book in a certain vein or a certain genre, um, then there's an expectation that that's what you write. Because coming from a screenwriting background, you're a lot less pigeonholed in that world. Um, there's not as much sort of restriction in terms of like a publisher wants you to basically put out versions of the same story again and again, because that way they can build an audience. Um, so I think I would have thought more about how do I brand myself and what kind of future do I want as a writer? Um, and also working with a traditional publisher, you don't have as much control over that too. So a lot of the decisions about like what genre to package the book as and who to market it to, they decided all of that. Um, and then another thing that I would probably do differently in the future is I would be a lot more aggressive about finding my own opportunities to market because I think like a lot of authors, I just assumed like, well, the publisher handles that, right? <laughs> um, so I I did what they gave me to do. Like they set up some uh, book tour stops that I went on. They set up some interviews, um, but that was about it. And I didn't really seek anything on my own. And now I know that a lot of authors, even traditionally published authors with 
a major publisher, they might hire their own publicist um, on top of whoever's working with the publisher. They'll do a lot more on their own to find opportunities to promote the book. Um, and I didn't really do any of that. So next time around, I would definitely go and seek out my own promotional opportunities in addition to whatever the publisher puts together. Now, in terms of finding agents, um, I know that there are, you know, lots of, uh, I mean, you can go on to the different uh, online searches and try to find agents, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of agents out there and they specialize in a lot of different areas. Um, any advice on whether you just throw out to as many editors as you can or is there's the research involved in trying to find the right fit and that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely the latter, I would say. Like, I, I think it's good to be targeted and focused. I think you're going to have a higher success rate that way. And also it's kind of just being courteous to the agents too, that you're, you're sending letters to people who you actually think might be interested in your work and you're not just sort of like crop dusting the industry with mm-hmm. <laughs> the same letter that you send to everyone just to kind of hit that volume. Um, I think for me, finding agents to reach out to, that was pretty easy because there's so much out there and they pretty much all have some kind of online profile where you can find information about them. Um, so it wasn't hard to find people to reach out to, but it was a fair amount of research for each one to try to decide like, okay, what kind of clients does this person work with? What are they interested in? Do I think that they might actually be interested in my book? And then every query letter that I sent out, I would tailor to that agent. So, you know, I had a a basic letter that I was using. It wasn't just starting from scratch each time, but I would try to indicate somewhere in there um, why I was reaching out to that person specifically, whether there was a certain client of theirs that I admired their work and thought mine was kind of similar in some way, or I read something in an interview that they said that I resonated with or that I thought, you know, they, they were looking for a book that sounded similar to mine. Um, so I let them know why I was reaching out to them specifically. And sometimes I would kind of tailor the the content or the tone of the letter too. like for somebody who liked humor, I would try to add in a little more humor into the description, things like that. So I put a lot of time into each letter, but I had a pretty high success rate in terms of people actually requesting the manuscript because I did that work. Now, do you think that, um, because now, you know, I sort of encouraged you to do this uh, indie thing that we've done with Death by Podcasting, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about. But now that you know how um, quickly, even if you do it right, you can get a book out and do it the way you want to. Are you going to have as much patience the next time around when you... Uh... We'll see. <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> one of the, the positives of the indie process is you can be as fast as you want to be. Um, as long as you're willing to do the work and get it out there, like you can be super speedy with it, which in traditional publishing, you don't really have control over that. Um, and it's a, it's a bigger machine that you're a part of. So it's probably going to take longer. Um, so yeah, it's definitely nice to be able to put stuff out that quickly. I think part of that too, is a genre thing. Like for some writers, if they're writing, say romance or mystery or something, especially where they might have a series or a certain group of characters they're working with over and over, they can churn out one or more books a year. Um, and so it's really helpful for them to be able to publish pretty quickly. And, and readers want that that new book every 12 months, every nine months, whatever it might be. Um, whereas if you're working more on, say, like the literary fiction or historical fiction or something like that, you're probably going to take longer to write each, write each book. Um, so it might not be as much of an issue that it takes longer to publish. But yeah, it is it is nice to be able to just kind of, you're ready to go and you go. <laughs> Yeah, and I've talked, you know, we've talked to a lot of authors who've been traditionally published and indie published on the podcast, and the, the ones that were traditionally published, uh, 
it has sort of settled into a rhythm with a, a publisher and they are writing a series. Um, you know, they're doing very well and they've got a system and they don't have to worry about all the things that you think about when you're indie publishing, like how are you going to format the book? Who's going to do the cover? You know, who's going to get the ISBN numbers? Who's going to, you know, all these different things that you do as an indie publisher is done for you. Um, and they can kind of get into that rhythm and they like it. But I've also heard stories too about some traditionally published authors who wrote a series who then got dropped by the publisher. Not that their writing got any worse. I mean, I was hoping that another book would come out because I enjoyed the first couple of books. But then suddenly, what do they do? They develop this character. They develop this uh, series. And now they've got to find a different publisher to pick it up, which presents um, you know, some issues for them. And they don't own now the first two books. And they won't own them until the publisher gives those rights back uh, some years later. So there is that advantage, but I think, I, and just kind of segueing into the indie publishing a little bit, I think one of the big differences that I've noticed, um, and I'll tell a little bit about my story too, but is is that distribution is uh, much different. Um, if you want your book in bookstores, and if you want your book uh, to be translated in different languages, um, and you're just kind of getting your head around this thing, a uh, traditional publisher is going to be in a much better position to do that than you are as an independent publisher. Even, and when I say traditional, I'm not talking about necessarily your independent publishers, the smaller presses. Uh, I'm talking about the big five, right? They've got all these agreements they do with these bookstores and they send them books and they can afford to have the books sent back and they destroy them. It's a terrible thing, wasting a lot of trees when we do that. But they send these books out and they can come back and then get these books in all these bookstores around the country. Um, and it, you can't do that unless you're willing to just give up your life and travel around the world you know, with books in your trunk and trying to get uh, stores to take your independently published book, even if it's got a bunch of awards, even if it's really well written, even if a New York Times bestselling author has put their name on the cover. It's hard to get in stores and get that distribution if that's what you, you know you want and maybe that's a way to get the book out there more plus you're not going to be able to participate um in as many organizations uh, like mystery writers of america or others if you're and maybe not submit for some of the same awards because you're not quote traditionally published they are the gatekeepers in that regard and you lose out on that but the playing field gets level and maybe even levels a little up in favor of the indie author when you talk about where a lot of books are sold and that's online. And I love independent bookstores and I'm continue to support them, including Park Road Books has been great to me through this process. But the fact of the matter is that uh, a lot of books get sold online. A lot of people look online to buy books and Hannah, you know, you might pipe in here, but a lot of marketing is sort of targeting those audiences, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's sort of like, the direction all of it's heading towards is just like totally online <laughs> marketing. Um, and I think it does depend to just like going back to traditional publishing versus indie publishing. Like when you do independently publish, that is like a big part of that business because first of all, you have more control over how to do it. So you are the person that has access to the back end of Amazon and can run Amazon ads or you can, you know, 
sort of like work your magic in the different platforms that you can purchase online through BookBub or whatever. Whereas if you have a publisher, like if you're with Penguin, Penguin Random House, it's like they're not, you're not going to hit them up and say, you know, like, hey, could you run some Amazon ads for me? They're going to be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? And then you're running them so Penguin can get most of it before they send you a little check, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is one of the things I was thinking about. I don't know why, but after I published my first, well, just in my story, I was still practicing law and I wanted to get some books out and I wanted them out before my dad passed away. And so I went the indie route and uh, got the books out. But I did do the whole developmental editor, copy editor, everything, because I wanted to feel and smell like a real traditionally published book. But then when I published those, I was like, well, you know, I've got this Deadly Declarations. I think it's a good story, good, getting good feedback from people. Maybe I should go the traditional route see if I can get a wider audience. And I started looking into the whole query process. Uh, and frankly, I was thinking, wait a minute, it could take me a year to get an agent. And then it's going to take them a year to pitch it. And, you know, I look back and I, I got fortunately a lot of awards for the book. I'm thinking, well, did I, you know, I could have done maybe traditional or whatever, but at the same time, it's been a great experience because, um, you know, I got to work with Hannah. We did the whole thing. And because we, I, I truly believe that because we spent six or seven months after the book was ready, getting ready to release it, and we're kind of segueing now into the marketing phase of things here, um, I'm still getting invitations, you know, two years later to go to book clubs, to go to appearances. In fact, one of the things I forgot to mention when I flew in from Cape Cod recently, the next night I had the Daughters of American Revolution in Monroe and I didn't take enough books. <laughs> they were going to have 30 people there. And I figured well, if I take 10 books, that's plenty, right? A third of the people probably are not mm -hmm. going to buy my book. And I ran out of books after selling 10 books. I was like, okay, uh, lesson learned. I'm going to take more books <laughs> next time. But th the point is that, you know, if you lay the groundwork and you get out there and you start doing those kind of things, then it will have some staying power for you and you can continue. And before we jump into marketing full bore here, I just want to mention that I do think that uh, there are a lot of great small presses out there, but when I decided not to go the traditional route with Deadly Declarations, at least from the try to get an agent and get a big five deal, I looked at small presses because you could submit your manuscript yourself. But when I did, I realized that there were thousands and thousands of authors submitting to these same small presses. And you know, I was hearing nothing. I mean, and, and I understand it now as a podcast, but how many <laughs> submissions do we get a week now, right? Ten submissions a week, and we only have so many spots for people. Uh, well, that's ratcheted way up when you're talking about, you know, people submitting their books to these presses. So they weren't, it was weeks and weeks, and then turned to months and months, and I said, then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, if I did land with a small press, why am I doing it? Is it my ego? Do I want to be able to say, oh, I got my books published traditionally, you know, and I started thinking about it and thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm probably going to, you know, do all the work anyway when it comes to marketing. Um, and I'm essentially would be then splitting with a small publisher who has no more ability than I do to get my book into bookstores, you know, uh, locally or around the world. So uh, I just said, nope, let's do this thing. Let's go the indie route. And I said, Let's focus instead on having some patience on the marketing side. 
let's talk about that, Hannah, as a segue into marketing. Um, not putting your book out as soon as you finish the editing process, you know, but giving yourself a little bit of time to market it. Death by podcasting being the exception. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> and what we're doing there and why we're doing it the way we're doing it. But, uh, you know, you got a big novel. You've been working on it for two years. You got it finished. Should you just immediately put it out? What should you do, Hannah? I think it, it definitely sort of depends on your goals. Um, there's people kind of like we were talking about earlier where it's like, you know, if you've been writing, putting out two books a year, for example, and you're like a seasoned self-published author and you have like your readership kind of established, which a lot of self-published writers who've been doing it for years do have that. Like they know what they're doing. They have people who are waiting for their books to come out. Like they have a strong established readership and that's a totally different ball game because then it's like, mm-hmm. you don't need that like, you know, cush period where you're planning for this big launch and all that kind of stuff. But I think it, if your goal is to kind of have this more traditional campaign for your book launch, like you can't just be, you know, sitting here saying, okay, well, if the editing's done. I got the cover design in like, publish <laughs> it's done you know because then it's 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 like putting all this pressure on this moment basically where you're like oh it's out so like buy it <laughs> that's sort of like the way people look at it but i mean i think if you're if you're wanting to have this thing where which a lot of authors do and which i think is a really amazing thing of having this kind of like book tour or a launch event or you want to have uh, media coverage the week of your publication date things like that which especially as a first-time author I think you need to have that like you have to have some sort of like plan to get your stuff out there and make sure it's kind of coordinated based off of the time of release and all this stuff you you got to remember you're working with on the, the schedules of like a lot of different people so that includes you know the editing schedule, the editor's schedule, like the cover designer's schedule, your schedule as a writer. And then from the publicity standpoint, like what's the editorial calendar for your local newspaper? What is going on in the world right now that makes this relevant in the Washington Post? You know, things like that. Podcasting, like, you know, we know this from the back end of this show. It's like we're scheduling months in advance, right? So it's like you have to get in there when it's convenient for everybody. I feel like one thing that a lot of writers do or make the mistake of, especially first-time authors who are self-publishing or even traditionally published, it's like if you have nothing to go off of from your experience, you wouldn't know that. And you kind of are just like, well, what do you mean? The world doesn't stop for like me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's, you know, no, it doesn't. You have to be, um, I think the way I lead what I do is just with consideration for everybody. Like I think being very like aware that everyone has their own job, their own life, their own, you know, it's just, it kind of humbles the process a little bit and it helps you build those relationships that really, it helps everybody win, you know, because that's the goal. <laughs> and and you had a good point there, Hannah. If you If you're pretty much uh, your whole audience is online and you've developed an indie relationship. You've got these uh, reader clients built up and they're waiting on the next in the series that you're writing. Um, You don't need as much uh, lead time other than you you reactivate your newsletter a month or two ahead of time. You tell them it's coming, you do a cover reveal and and you get it out. But if you want to, uh, I I mean, a couple of things here. Let's say 
you, you want to schedule some events, right? Well, you might need three months to book a place or four months to book yeah. a place. And let's say also that totally aside from Mark, because when you and I worked together, we were working, uh, you, you were working on planning some events, and I was thinking about, okay, how do I get reviews and mm -hmm. how do I create a team of advanced readers? So um, in order to do that, you've got to have a finished book or somewhat finished book to give it to your advanced readers and you got to give them time to read it, right? And you yeah. can't be over their shoulder saying, after you've given to them two days ago, saying, well, are, are you through yet? You know, do you, do, how do you like, you know, you got to give them a month or so to read your book so they can do it. Uh, and even then they may need more time. Plus, if you want to get a review from Kirkus or some of the other review sites, you might need two to three months in advance. And if you want to run one of these uh, Instagram tours like we did for Daily Declarations, which I thought was very helpful, where they send it out to 25 influencers. They give honest reviews. They put it up online. They need a couple to three months in advance to get it out to them, for them to read it, and for them to then post it around the time of your release. So these are all things to be thinking about. Um, if you're you know, going to be doing a on the ground but uh, in the air, uh, internet style uh, release too. Um, did that spark any other thoughts? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, like this is, that's all, that's totally true. I think, again, like it kind of goes back to the point, like, um, and I have this conversation all the time when it comes to publicity and book marketing. It's just like all about timeline, um, your goals and your timeline. And, um, you know, I think there's so many new ways to go about marketing your book now too that it's like really important to kind of stay on top of that um something that i do is i have google alerts that are kind of that always notify me when there's something going on in publicity or book publicity or like the literary world in general um i think it's it's just kind of as if you have all of the moving pieces in your head like what's going on in the industry what are your goals? What's the timeline look like for your specific project? Um, those are the things that really help you move everything at the pace that it needs to go to, to you know, garner successful results. Um, I think that's the main thing to think about. And a lot of people get really, I feel like publicity is sort of just like that word you don't ever, it's like, he who must not be named in the book world. Like no one <laughs> wants to talk about it. You're like, oh, I don't want to freaking talk about this right now but i think it's like it's kind of like the vehicle you know i think that's a good way to look at it it's like the vehicle that gets you to your goals um and it's something that you have to do and not get frustrated about it uh and that's hard to and, do for a lot of people <clears throat> and expect the unexpected and, and realize that they're going to be um haters out there uh, you're going to put yeah. all this work into it you're going to get out there and then they're, they're, you're going to get some reviews in fact i was looking Today, we're, I was looking at a, something online today related to de declarations because I had to have it for something we're doing, and I, I just noticed a recent review. Um, no, I didn't know. I, I saw the reviews. I said, oh, there's there's a one-star down there. I got, I'm going to go check that out, and I, I clicked on it, and here's what the one-star review said. There's plenty of good books to read that don't rely on woke stereotypes to feed the plot line. You saw this today? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, this is my book, Daily Declaration, said, and I could see the thing coming a mile away. I didn't follow, bother to finish this piece of trash. The last thing I'll read by this author. And so I, I, I thought to myself, okay, that's kind of, is that a badge of honor? I wrote something that, right. that 
<laughs> was woke. Uh, and I was trying to remember what was woke about Daily Decorations. That's what I'm trying thought, to think. I thought, I have a gay character in Daily Decorations. So this one-star reviewer can't handle the fact that gay people live in this world and that gay people are real people and the gay people actually inhabit books too. And so it's a badge of honor for me. And I balanced it against a five-star review that I got the same day, which is somebody told me this. I think it uh, was Michelle Berger. She told me affirmations that you've got to take uh, – you can't give the bad reviews more credence than the good reviews. I mean, I got a – right next to this one-star review, I got a five-star review with a guy that took a picture of the book on the beach about how much he enjoyed reading it, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I read that one This right after I read the one-star and I said, all right, I'm going to try to train myself or train my brain not to do what it typically does sometimes, which is always think to the, to the worst. Don't do that, right? Don't, don't let yourself go there. It's what lawyers do. We always look for the, the worst so we can advise our clients against those yeah. risks. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but really, um, you know, um, everybody who puts a book out there is working hard to do it. Um, and, you know, it goes back to this thing that, not every book is for everybody. And part of marketing, I think, at least Hannah taught me this, is you got to find the people that are going to relate to it. And how do you do that? And she was asking me questions like, well, tell me about the themes of your book. And sometimes authors will go, well, what are you talking about? This book's about somebody, you know, some bad guys chasing them. No, no, tell me about the theme of the book. You know, mm-hmm. what's this about? And you start thinking about it more deeply. And in my book, it's, you know, even though it's a mystery and involves the mech deck and everything, it's about these characters who are coming to terms with aging and having to move into retirement and having to get beyond uh, the feeling that their life is over. That is a theme. Well, where do you take that theme? Oh, well, I've taken it to at least 10 retirement communities when mm-hmm. I've talked about uh, daily declarations, and I've gotten more invitations as a result of it. So those are the kind of things you think about when you're marketing, and thank you, Hannah, for teaching me that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Don't send me a bill, all right? I, I, I paid my last bill. I'm paid in full. Listen, man. I'm not like the kind of person that likes to brag, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, well, look, that's all the time we have for this. I hope it was helpful. Um, uh, you know, send us your thoughts. Uh, you can go through the website, feedback. Uh, we'll talk about it on the show and uh, answer questions as well. But uh, now we're going to move into Act 3, where we're going to have some uh, book recommendations, and we're going to do all of our uh, elevator pitches. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. All right, here we are with Act uh, 3. We've got uh, some book recommendations first, followed by eight elevator pitches. Uh, We're going to do those book recommendations fairly quickly. Although first, I do want, uh, Sarah's going to do a tribute here to Philip Gerard's memoir. Yeah, so um, Philip Gerard's memoir, Words and Music, uh, just came out on September 26th. Um, Philip has been on the show in the past, and then he passed away, I believe it was late last year, earlier this year. Um, But this is his story of creating an album of music called American Anthem, which is interspersed with the story of his life. He's gotten a lot of great blurbs from wonderful North Carolina writers like Jason Mott, Jill McCorkle, Bland Simpson, Clyde Edgerton, um, a lot of really high praise. So definitely if you are a fan of Philip and his work or if you're interested in music and how that kind of intersects with writing, um, we would recommend checking this out called Words and Music. 
All right, great. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Hannah, what's your book recommendation this week? I am recommending a book called Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin mm. Wilson, which I like that title a lot. Um, it's it's such a good book. It was very quirky, a really quirky read. It's about, um, it's kind of a come-and-give-age story about two a set of two friends who come up with this wild poster when they're like, I, don't, I think they're like 14 or something like that. Um, they're in high school, young teens, and they're just bored and during the summer and they like draw this like absurd picture and it has this catchphrase that makes literally no sense at all and they just plaster it all over the town <laughs> and it sends the town into like this crazy frenzy and it becomes known as the panic um, and it's like written about in the New York Times it becomes like people like form a cult out of it it's just this whole thing people end up dying like it's it's like a it kind of starts out one place and ends somewhere totally different um, and and it kind of talks about how that summer and how the uh, creation of that poster just contributed to both of the characters growing up. And um, it's a really interesting book and it's funny. It's kind of like got more serious elements to it and themes, but it's it's written with a lot of humor. And um, yeah, it was it was really, really good. I loved it. Yeah, I read that last year. It was enjoyable. Wasn't it good? I was like the shanty town. (laughs) Yeah, it's different. It's a very different concept. I know. I I like couldn't put it down because I was like, this is one of the weirder books I've read in a while, but it's super good. (laughs) Well, I've got uh, two quick ones and I'll turn it to Sarah, but um, I read these on my Kindle when I was cruising around during the uh, 40th anniversary week and uh, the Longmire Defense by Craig Johnson came out on September the 5th and uh, read it on the plane. It was it was really great. It's about the 19th uh, in his uh, series. The interesting thing about this book that I liked was that uh, it went back in time to some extent to reveal information about uh, the main character, um, Walt Longmire's uh, father and grandfather, um, and whether or not they had actually been involved in committing a murder that he's trying to now solve, uh, you know, three generations later. So that was a very fun uh, mystery. It's well-written as always. And then I hadn't read a Stephen King book uh, in a while, and I thought, okay, I'm going to download the latest one, and I just read it. It's called Holly. Uh, It reminded me what a really good writer Stephen King is, but, man, was it creepy in places, I'm going to tell you. There's some stuff in there that... uh, (laughs) What's it about? Well, these people are disappearing and we don't know why and there's this elderly couple that works at the at the college and uh they seem like a nice little couple but um you know they are actually taking these people and the question is what are they doing with them and uh so you know who it is that's the bad guy and the uh holly who is the investigator the private investigator is trying to figure it all out and uh i don't know i shouldn't give you more away because uh it's one of those uh, very <laughs> creepy, but uh, inter- very interesting book. It's a mystery, but you kind of know who done it. You don't know why they're doing yeah. it or what mm-hmm. they're doing. And so the mystery is, what are they doing and why are they doing it? And, you know, you got a detective who's trying to solve it. So it's a lot of very interesting read. His brain is wild, Stephen King. Yeah. I, like, don't yeah. know how he writes the <laughs> And way he, he said, does. you know, he said his, um, there's a lot of COVID in the book in terms of Holly's mother uh, is a non-believer. She ends up going on a ventilator and dies. And so he says, you know, that some people are going to say that he was uh, 
doing what they call soapbox writing, but he said essentially, you know, COVID's a real thing, and he tried to pretty much get the views across of both both sides, but uh, uh, he figured that she, having a mother who died who, who wasn't a believer, would be the kind of person who would wear a mask, and that other people who approached her would be telling her to take that thing off. This virus is not real. And so a lot of that did permeate the book, but he said, uh, you know, he felt like uh, he needed to do that. Uh, he thanked everybody he worked with and said, you know, they do all the great work of getting the book out. I just make up shit. I'm, that's my job. I make up shit. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, Sarah, what do you got? Um, so I've got uh, two books I'm recommending, Quietly Hostile by Samantha Irby, and It Was an Ugly Couch Anyway by Elizabeth Passarella. <laughs> both great titles. Love that. Um, and I listen to both of these as audiobooks with Libro.fm. Um, usually I'm more of a fiction reader, but these are actually both nonfiction. They're essay collections that are kind of memoirish. Um, and I really enjoyed both of them. They're both very funny, um, Quietly Hostile. The Samantha Irby one is probably a little bit more like laugh out loud funny. Um, she's a screenwriter. She does a lot of comedy writing, but both of them have a lot of humor and some introspection as well. Um, and they cover a variety of topics, things like aging, uh, moving between houses or apartments, um, what their experiences of the pandemic were like, kind of questioning whether or not to have children, um, sharing their unpopular opinions, like a lot of different topics that they cover in both of these books. Um, but they are both just really, really enjoyable to read. And also the audiobooks are both narrated by the writers, which I think is mm. kind of nice, especially since it's talking about themselves and their own lives and their thoughts. It almost just feels like it's a friend talking to you. Um, so I, I really enjoyed each of these. They were a lot of fun, but also kind of good uh, food for thought as you're listening. So I love both of them. Yeah, and I forgot to mention that uh, when we we're talking about death by podcast, and we did get a the epigraph for that book uh, we got from Brian Baltashevitz from the Queen City Podcast Network. Uh, he's the founder and the producer there, and we're also a member of that network here. But here's his epigraph. He says, most podcasts live a short life. They're created in a fit of passion. But once the excitement fades, so does the devotion. It's a lonely death. <laughs> so there you go there you go wow. um, all right so we got we we got our book recommendations now it's time to jump into uh, the elevator pitches i'll remind uh everyone listening that if you're a writer you've written a book uh you can submit uh, your elevator pitch we will put it on the air we'll talk about it uh and uh, it's just got to be 30 seconds or less which is the hard part you got to write that little elevator pitch uh, if people's eyes start glazing over after you've been talking about your book for five minutes you're not gonna make a sale so work on that 30 second pitch uh all right we're gonna start out with uh ben crane his his book is a man of lies hi sarah hannah and landis this is ben crane uh recording an elevator pitch for my novel a man of lies A mafia enforcer launches a desperate con to save his own life after he and his boyfriend are caught stealing from their boss. A man of lies has drawn comparisons to Dennis Lehane, Don Winslow, and Elmore Leonard. It's a high-energy heist tale of anger, love, regret, and redemption. Library Journal calls it noir crime fiction at its best. Publishers Weekly says it's ambitious, fast-moving, bold, and exciting. A Man of Lies by Ben Crane is available now wherever books are sold. All right. What do y'all think? Sounds like a little Ozark in there to me, too. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. I love the yeah. title, too. It's a great title. 
Yeah, I'm talking to him. We'll have a full interview with him on the show. So I'm excited. Oh, he, it's so that's funny. Great. After I uh, had coordinated the interview with him, we have a bookstore across the street that I can literally walk to. And it was a signed copy from him was on devail- uh, like on display there. <laughs> and so I emailed him. I was great. like, yeah. it's on display at Joseph Beth Booksellers in Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> he so was cool. like, really? <laughs> that's, so, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. All right, so uh, the next one we've got here, um, thanks, Ben, for that, is uh, James Lindsay, uh, Befriending My Brain, A Psychosis Story. Hi there, my name is James Lindsay, and my book is called Befriending My Brain, A Psychosis Story. It's all about my breakdown with mental illness and being sectioned, my recovery, the ups and downs of relapse, and all the lessons I learned along the way and advice I have for people. I want to inspire hope and let people know that recovery is always possible and hope is never far away. I hope you enjoy reading. Thank you. Yeah, I love that because uh, you know, people write books, um, fiction, nonfiction, and uh, the fact that uh, he's writing about his own experiences and hoping uh, it, that it'll be helpful to others. We've had, we've had some books on, in the past on the podcast that do that, that where people share their personal life experience and it ends up... Uh, Helping others. What do you think of the title, folks? I love yeah, that. That's a good one too. Yeah, sounds really good. my brain. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, okay, I've had this issue, but now I'm going to befriend my brain. And embrace right? the chaos. Good way of thinking yeah. about it. All right, Kathleen Hannon, the confession of Hemingway Jones is up next. A deadly car accident. A guilty son's need to reverse the natural order, and an improbable success in a hijacked cryogenic research lab. Hi, I'm Kathleen Hannon, author of The Confession of Hemingway Jones. This Halloween, join me and Hemingway for what Kirk has called a Frankenstein-esque, action-packed, suspenseful romp through life and death, and the independent book review named one of the most exciting releases of the fall, The Confession of Hemingway Jones, available September everywhere books are sold. That sounds like it's down your alley, Hannah. You know? Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. I love that. The whole uh, Halloween, October, I, she had me yeah. at Cryogenic Lab, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking it up. <laughs> picking it up. All right. All right, we're going, we're going from the Cryogenic Lab and uh, the confession and the, maybe that's kind of a Halloweenish horror thing, to to Bridget Van Rijk's book, Ten Dates. Here we go. Everybody loves a good love story and everybody loves a good scandal. Ten Dates by Bridget Van Der Eyck has both. Ten Dates follows the unlikely love story between an aspiring Victoria's Secret supermodel, Libby Evans, and Wentworth Turner, one of the paparazzi that torment Libby and her rich, spoilt Hollywood friends. After one drunken night with Wentworth, Libby is willing to do whatever it takes to keep this scandal under wraps for the sake of her sparkly reputation. Lucky for her, Wentworth wants just one thing in exchange for his silence. Ten Dates. <laughs> That's Pretty a good elevator pitch. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ten Dates. Oh, uh, I'll do it, but I, I got to have 10 days. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 10 exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that uh, we're getting in all these different voices, uh, the author's voices for how they write and how they speak. But, you know, listeners just know that we'll have this in the show notes. So this list will be there and you'll be able to, you know, tap into this. You don't have to be taking notes now. So if something strikes you and you're interested in going out and buying one or more of these books, uh, you'll have it in, in the show notes. Uh, and uh, so here we go. We got uh, 
DJ Williams, Hunt for Eden Star, up next. I'm author DJ Williams. My debut young adult thriller, Hunt for Eden Star, kicked off the Beacon Hill series and was praised by Kirkus Reviews for its fast-paced action as the beginning of a promising paranormal saga. In the latest book, Secrets of the Highlands, readers from around the world find Jack Reynolds uncovering a haunting prophecy as he struggles to control the power of Eden Star. I hope readers from around the world will dive into this heart-pounding sequel to Hunt for Eden Star. All right. Well, we get, we got prophecies. We got this is this, we're coming up on the fallish months, right? Mm-hmm. We got these uh, mm-hmm. the Highlands, the prophecies, everything. That's good. Uh, DJ, appreciate that. All right, we got uh, this is a long title. Uh, Grace Light, Tent for Seven, a camping adventure gone south out west. Okay, let's hear it. I'm Grace Lai. Tent for Seven, a camping adventure gone south out west is the story of a harrowing two-week camping trip Marty took with his wife and five children in the Canadian Rockies. From the moment it began, everything went awry. Bears, floods, tainted drinking water, a near-fatal accident. With the help of mysterious strangers, Marty fought to keep his family alive and his sanity intact. Written with the humor and wit of Bill Bryson, Tent for Seven recounts the gripping tale of that vacation, a nightmare Marty and his whole family would struggle to forget. Yeah, I love Bill Bryson. Um, he wrote the book uh, about uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, I think they even made it into a movie with Robert Redford or some, somebody. Uh, but uh, that's a great pitch. Uh, if you're if you're into the if you've been there and done that and you haven't carried all the things with you, and uh, maybe not your bear spray or your bear bells or things go wrong, uh, that's one to check out. Uh, all right, Anley Parish, uh, a summer morning. Hi, I'm Anley Parish. In my thirteenth book, A Summer Morning, Timothy Dugan has problems. His girlfriend wants a baby. He hates his job. He can't quit booze. His parents are divorced, not the problem. They're about to get remarried to each other. That's the problem. Oh, and someone from his past just resurfaced who could ruin everything in his life. Will Timothy recover from his addiction and save his relationships? A Summer Morning publishes October 3rd from Unsolicited Press. Sounds like a lot of relationships to save, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they always say to give your character as, as many obstacles as possible and to make things hard on your character and... Sounds like she's done that for sure. <laughs> and, and if you notice, uh, if if y'all heard what I've heard, you know, and, and it's essential to every, I think, book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, conflict and uh, mystery is going to be inherent uh, in every manuscript, <laughs> no matter what genre you put it in. And, and there's a lot of it uh, here, whether it's uh, having to consent to, 10 dates or figuring out how to get out of the cryogenic lab or uh, dealing with your own past or, you know, dealing with the prophecy in the Highlands or, hey, tent camping out west. Uh, <laughs> and now summer morning with all these things here. All right, we have one last one. Tracy Hewitt Meyer, Generation Annihilation. My name is Tracy Hewitt Meyer, and I am the author of Generation Annihilation, a contemporary thriller about a teen boy who must learn to survive after being imprisoned in an abandoned lunatic asylum. All right, more conflict, more suspense. Uh, we got the lunatic asylum, yeah. cryogenic lab. <laughs> this is a good group. <laughs> a, lot, yeah. a lot of good stuff. This is great. This is the most we've had in any one episode, uh, eight elevator pitches. We Readers, uh, listeners, uh, 
authors. I'm going to get it right one of these days. Uh, <laughs> thank you for submitting these and uh, sharing them with us. And uh, readers and listeners, we hope you uh, will uh, hear something you like and, and you know, go buy, go buy some of these books. Um, all right, we're, we're wrapping up. We had a little bit longer episode today, but uh, we thank you if you're still hanging with us. Uh, Sarah, can you tell uh, our listeners what's coming in October? Sure. Um, so the rest of this month, we're going to have four individual interviews by the hosts. On October 10th, we feature Scott Gould, author of the Hammerhead Chronicles, winner of multiple awards, including the 2023 Eric Hoffer Award. Um, it's set in a small southern town. Um, and the Eric Hoffer Award says the book's effect is kaleidoscopic, drawing us ever closer to grief, loss, and the ways we get each other wrong, transmuting instead the gold of family, friendship, and community. Then on October 17th, we're going to feature Stephen Iwano. I never know if I'm pronouncing yeah. his name correctly, but <laughs> um, author of Yesteryear. Ashley Warlick, author of The Arrangement, says Yesteryear is a magical, magnificent novel strung on the threads of a real man's quest to fight evil, save the day, and lift the world from the clutches of the Great Depression. There's no way to read this book and not find yourself moved to tears. I absolutely loved it. On October 24th, we feature Michael Thomas Ford, author of Every Star That Falls. Phil Stamper, who is the national best-selling author of The Gravity and Us, says Every Star That Falls is a moving story about boldly and proudly becoming your true self. We've waited 15 long years for the sequel to Suicide Notes, and it was so worth the wait. Then on October 31st, for our Halloween episode, we feature Carissa Orlando, author of The September House, a wonderfully creepy novel about a haunted house just what we were on the hunt for for our Halloween episode. Um, Rachel Harrison, the national best-selling author of Such Sharp Teeth, calls the book a rich and wholly satisfying haunted house novel about dark family secrets and patterns of destruction. Um, then on November 7th, we're going to be back together as a team for the first episode of the next month, and we're going to focus on the novella, which we've been talking about, Death by Podcasting, that I and Landis co-wrote. Um, Hannah's going to interview us about it, and we're going to talk about co-writing and writing the novella mystery and share a little bit of no spoilers but some secrets from the story um and we're also going to have book recommendations plus our regular checking of the host and all right uh, hannah you want to take us out of here you remember how sure to do i don't know if i remember <laughs> all right guys just read on and rock on write on and rock on <laughs> you try that again? Okay. okay read on it's, it's been a while write on and rock on <laughs> there you go Thanks.